Love you all tons. I had a, a thought this morning. Anybody work out here? Okay, anybody like really work out? Not like you work out in your mind, but like you actually make it to the gym. How many know there's people that like they, they work out here, but they don't actually ever make it to the gym? I've been there. I had this, this thought this morning before I open up, and I realized that working out without eating right is pointless. Only the people that work out amen that, right? I want you to understand, those of you who eat garbage and you run on the treadmill, that doesn't actually do anything but make you feel better about what you ate. But it doesn't actually change you, right? I realize that working out and not eating well, like working and not eating well is pointless because these two go hand in hand, right? Because if all you do, check this out, our lives, when, when we... When we work out, if all you're doing is doing the outside repetitions, but what you're putting in is garbage, there's going to be no result. And a lot of times what happens is when you're putting in, when you're putting in, uh, can we just close those glass doors? That'd be, I think that might be my kid. Maybe it's not. Never mind. <laughs> I, I realize this, right? When you, when you create repetitions on the outside, but you're constantly putting in garbage, it works against each other. This is why eating junk and working out cannot coexist together eventually you're going to have to choose one or the other. And I feel like that this morning with our Christian walks. You're eventually going to have to choose if you're going to let the repetition also dictate what you put in. Because what you put in will come out. Right? We talked about last week about wounds and how we can't... God doesn't want to coexist with our wounds. He wants to heal our wounds. And this morning I wanted to share on this simple phrase of superficiality. Super quiet in here, right? How many of you are real Lakers fans? Raise your hands. You are diehard. No, before Kobe died. No, I want, I want to go there. I do want to go there. Because everybody's a Lakers fan now. Right? How many of you noticed that? Like, you got people that are like, oh, Kobe, rest in peace. I love you. Lakers for life. You're like, bro, you don't even watch that one game. Anybody ever met people like that? Or how many, like, all of a sudden, you Niners fan, right? I mean, you've been hidden for like 20 years, but all of a sudden they start getting some wins and now you're a fan, right? Literally, I mean, there, I mean again, I, I appreciate people that are like, I don't know nothing about basketball, just bless the Bryant family, right? But it's the other people that act like they've been watching the NBA for life. And they've been diehard, right? Like Nipsey Hussle when he passed away. God rest his soul too, right? All of a sudden, everybody was a Nipsey listener. And you're like, I know you've never heard one song from Nipsey. Right? It's this superficial culture, especially that's embedded in Los Angeles. We are in one of the capitals of superficial. We are literally in the, in, we are in the heart of superficiality. Right? Most people can care less about what's on the inside as long as everything on the outside looks good. But here's the crazy thing is superficiality is the curse of our generation. And what people do is they build superficiality as a fortress, not realizing they're actually building their tomb. They're actually building something that's going to lead them to death because superficiality is a wall that keeps both people and God out. It really is. It really is. And it's what you hide behind when you're afraid of people actually getting to know you. Now, I learned that superficiality, right? Check this out. Superficiality comes not when you feel guilty, but when you feel shame. Can I hit on this real quick? 
superficiality comes, can, can I grab your attention? Superficiality comes not when you feel guilty, but when you feel shame. See, guilt is when you feel bad for something you've done, right? How many of you have ever done something bad and you felt bad for it? Come on, if you don't feel bad for it, God help you, okay? You've lost your conviction, man. You lose your conviction. I don't know what else there is to lose. Superficiality, I mean, superficiality right, it stems from this. When, I, when I'm guilty, I feel bad for the mistake I made. When I have shame, I believe I am the mistake. Do you see the difference? Guilt and shame. Guilt is I'm sorry for the mistake I made. Shame is I am the mistake. For so many years, I grew up thinking I was the very mistaken reason why my parents got divorced, right? I never could separate. This is why you got to understand the Bible says that godly sorrow leads you to repentance, right? And true repentance, this word in the Greek is too so. True repentance is where you turn to 180 turn from something unto something. This is where you hear this word repent. Maybe you've heard it in churches before. True biblical repentance always lands you in the place of joy because you trade that which is old for that which is new. Now, I, I love shoes. I don't know if anybody here likes shoes, right? I don't know if there are any shoe heads in here, sneaker heads in here, right? If I were to come to you and you had some sketchers, no offense on sketchers, maybe they're going to make a comeback. I don't know. There's, some of them are getting fresh now, yeah. If I came to you and I had some Yeezys, right? If I was to say, hey, I want to give you my shoes. You give me those $30 Skechers. I'll give you my shoes instantly. You take them off. This is a picture, I believe, of repentance. Repentance is always joyful, right? But superficiality never lets you repent because it tells you that you're always right. Superficiality is the very wall that... Only you can knock down from the inside out. God can't knock it down from the outside in. Because he didn't build it, you did. You built a perfect version of you. Social media has done this to our culture. I'm guilty of that, right? Now I'm a 90s kid, so we didn't get social media until a little bit later in our lives. I was born in 1990, right? When I was young, we rode bikes. We played tag, heads up, seven up, threw dirt claws at each other. I had a super soaker. Nowadays, they would try to take those away. Some of you got that anyways. Rather, you're a gangbanger hiding behind a gun or you're a person in church hiding behind your religion. Superficiality is found in all facets of life. All facets. You find it, right? Superficiality is not allowing yourself to fully be seen for fear that you won't fully be loved. This is why when I get people that are like, I just love this guy. Girls, right? They'll come to me. I just love him so much. He's so cute. This guy's like, yo, B, like, man, I really like her, right? I'm like, cool. Why don't you just like be friends for a year? Like see each other in all seasons. Because how many of you know that, ladies, a dude can fake it for two months? He can. You're going to get the, he's going to take you on dates. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be kind. Men, she can fake it for probably six months, right? You're like, that fart came out of you? Like, you waited, six, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just saying, can we get honest here? People, we can fake it for months, but it's very difficult. Eventually, in years to come, the real us comes out. The real us comes out. And even in church, we hide behind posts, comments, filters, good works, by how all the ministry that we do. And by no means am I saying don't serve, right? I'm not saying, you know, don't ever serve in ministry, right? No, no, no. What I am saying is this. Don't let the serving that you do for God be the excuse of not having any intimacy or being known, right? We've mastered keeping people and God at an arm's length, 
Not letting it, listen, check this out. I, this is a cool phrase, man. I just want to really hit on this. We let people close enough so we can claim community, but not close enough to have true biblical fellowship. Let me repeat that. We let people close enough to claim community. Well, yeah, this is my community. No, it's not. No one knows you. Just because you show, this is, this is my number one problem, I feel like, with like, people that are just churchgoers. You can't think that because you show up once a week at a service, it does service. Attend your family once a week and see how close you'd be. Attend your boyfriend or your girlfriend once a week and see how close you'd be. Attend your marriage once a week, see how close you'd be for, two, for an hour and a half. And even in that hour and a half, it's so strong. You know, we've all been to church before. Like you get in a big argument right before you get there, then once you get out the car, hey, God is good. And all the time and all the time, God is good, right? We get there, we blend in with the crowd. Everyone else is worshiping, so you just kind of blend in and hide behind their fire, right? You kind of hide behind what they're doing. You hear the message. You maybe throw some money in a giving bucket to feel better about yourself, and you leave, and we call it church. Uh-uh. There's act, that, that's act, we've, we've, we've accepted in America superficiality, and it's come because we, in this country, there's, there's, no, there's no real persecution for our faith. Like when you get saved in America, you get congratulated and you get a welcome card. When you get saved in other countries, you're like, hey, welcome to the faith. Man, you might be beheaded tomorrow. There's a cost for your faith. In America, there's no cost for your faith. Right? The cost is, man, I drew, well, at least I drove out there on Monday. That was a big inconvenience. Like, no, there's more. My prayer is 2020, we start living not superficial lives, but supernatural lives. Like these men did in the Bible. Now check this out. From the beginning of time, God designed us to be known and to know him. But where did superficiality come in? Like where did it biblically come in? I was thinking about this. The first place that I see a picture of people trying to hide from God and only let them see what they want him to see is Adam. You think that superficiality was invented in Los Angeles. It was invented in the garden. Check this out. It's wild because the scripture I'm going to read, I don't really hear this read in a lot of churches. I don't really hear this scripture preached a ton, but I want to read it to you. It's Genesis 3. Here's what it says. Then the eyes of both of them were open, Adam and Eve, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So check this out. They started to cover the areas of their life they were embarrassed about because they knew now God could see. This is a human nature. When there's something you're embarrassed about, you cover it, right? When there's something you feel shame about, you cover it, not understanding that God already sees and knows it. This is the next verse. It says this. They heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is why I love the AC. In the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, check this out, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So check this out. They first covered themselves because they were embarrassed. But when you cover yourself so much and try to keep people out, it actually draws you out of the presence of God. This is why most, you know, you ever meet someone like everyone else is encountering God and they're just standing there and they can't feel a thing? Because superficiality will take you out of God's presence. Because you're trying to give God the best version of you instead of giving him the real you. You're trying to give God the best version of who you think he wants to see. How many have ever done that before? Come on, we've all done that. 
Right? I, I promise you, if, when, how many of you are not married here? Raise your hand, not married. Okay, one day you're going to go and you're going to meet the in-laws. How many know the first meeting of the in-laws is the most terrifying? It is. You get, you get, I mean, you get, every other day you wear sweats, but that day you wear slacks. You wear hats every day. That day you buy moose. Does anyone wear moose anymore? Gel. My father wore more moose. Right? You don't own a thing of cologne, but that day at Target, you're so cheap, you just go to the axe aisle. I know you have all done it before. Gio, I know you've Remember gym class? Come on, y'all remember after gym? Right? Hope you didn't put it on your skin. Not good for you. We've all... That's one of the most main points where you will be super... You come and you want to give your best. You want to bring your best. I mean, these are going to be your future in-laws. These, these could be the potential people you have to see for the rest of your life. I remember when I first had dinner with Marcella's parents to ask her to, to marry me. You know, I, I brought all the... You know, I brought like a, a contract and I, I did all these things to impress them. And then at the end, they're like, how would you financially support her? I'm like, I haven't thought that far, but, but I love her. You know, it's like, we want to cover our bases. They heard the Lord was coming, and because they had covered themselves, they had created superficiality. It eventually took them out of the presence of God. Superficiality is one of the big indicators, in my opinion, for not experiencing God. When you have people in a room, I meet a lot of people in a room, they're like, the room's erupting, God's encountering people, people are weeping. And I'm not saying that this is the only reason why. There may be other things you're going through. But I would, I would dare to say that a lot of times when we cannot feel God's presence, you've got to ask yourself, what superficial barriers have I built? And this is what it says. Then the Lord called to man and said to him, where are you? Next verse. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, what's interesting about this is what drove Adam to run from God wasn't his bareness. It wasn't that he felt naked. I'm not saying for you to experience God's presence, you've got to walk around butt naked. That's not what I'm saying. Like, I just want to experience the fullness of Adam. No, like, <laughs> please. <laughs> you and your wifey or your husband, okay? But check this out. It says this. That he, he was afraid. So what drove superficiality in, in Adam? It wasn't that he was embarrassed. It was that he was afraid. Check this out. Fear came into the storyline at the fall of man and is still interwoven in the storyline of many of you in this room. Fear is what's interwoven and causes you to build this facade of a good version of you. Yes? Before the fall, Adam had 100% confidence in God. 100% confidence in his relationship with God. He doesn't for one second guess his relationship with God, right? He walks fully seen, I mean, in, in every aspect, right? He walks fully seen by God, never once questioning it. Never once. But the moment fear creeps in, instantly he builds facades. And right after the fall, check this out, right after the fall, they eat the fruit. Adam feels the need to now cover up what he feels ashamed about. And for the first time in history, he tries to hide from God. Man, I, 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 you know, I, it's, it's crazy. I, I have the opportunity to travel a lot. I was just in Boston 
this weekend, and I, I'm, I'm, this, this year I'll be in, in Brazil, I'll be in Asia, South Africa. I mean, there's a lot of places throughout the U.S. And I go to a lot of different communities and churches and, and places. And what, what's always a good indication to me about people who know God, right? When you ever think, like, how do you judge if someone knows the Lord? Well, you actually can tell if, if someone knows the Lord. And it's not by the way they dance. It's not by the way they sing. It's by the way they speak of his nature. Right? Because you can learn rhythm. You can learn repetition. You could learn when to stand, when to sit. You could know when to shout. Right? You're like, oh, Brandon said, whenever he says this, we'll shout. Right? You can learn repetition. But when you meet someone that knows the nature of God, there is something deeper about the way they encounter and experience and speak of God. And you can really tell by someone who knows God's nature by the way they speak of him. I heard Corey Russell say this once. He said, if I was to take away all of your Christianese words, holy, alpha, and, you know, all the words that describe God, how would you describe him? If you couldn't say, he's wonderful. No, take that out. He's holy. Right? That, if, you, if some of you were singing these words on here, you're probably even like, what does this mean? The lamb on the throne. Like, is there like a band? Like, there's not like a literal lamb. Like, <laughs> if you don't know, it's because you don't have context yet. You, you got to like, you got to, like, you got to, we'll, we'll break it down later. But you know what I'm saying? Like, like. We have to get to a place where we understand his nature and his character, right? Adam got to a place where fear crept in, caused him to want to hide. And what's crazy is he hid among the things that God had created. He took his fig leaves that he created, hid in his trees and thought, huh, this is a great idea. He already seen. He no longer wanted God to see certain areas, right? And thousands of years later, we still have a generation sowing on fig leaves. We still have a culture today that wants to say, God, you can see this part of my life and this part of my life and this part of my life, but you cannot see this part. Like, I really don't want you to know this. I mean, this part, like, it's pretty gnarly. Like, I, I don't know. Like, if you're, maybe you're really not going to love me. Like, I think you're going to love me. And it's all stemmed in this fear of, will I be loved? Would you, do you agree? Have you ever seen that in your life? And it's sad because it continues throughout today. And many years as a believer, right, the once vulnerable people that accepted Jesus and received him so humbly, right, begin to actually start to think that God wants to just save the best version of you. So we get saved by grace, right? We know that God encounters us. And then over time when we make mistakes, because it's easy to believe that God forgives the mistakes you make before you're saved. Right? Is that not easy? Like, that's where most people start and stop their testimony. Yeah. Nobody? Man, y'all are angels. Wow. I'm in the heavenly host right now. Most people start and stop their testimony before Christ. Because the sins and the area of failures we have after him are much more embarrassing. Because we think we ought to know. I should have known better. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have spoke like that. And then we have the other people that come, yeah, you have, you've read the Bible, right? You're like, man, I just started. Like, I haven't read the whole thing yet. It's crazy. And we, it's crazy because we have grace for the sinner coming to the faith, but we lose grace for the saint. We lose grace for the one that's learning. The Bible says to walk out your salvation, Right? Like I said last week, like just because I became, just because I accepted Jesus doesn't mean that God downloaded the Bible app into my mind. 
And all of a sudden, I, like, I mean, like, when I, like my wife would say, like, when I would, when I would have a rough time, maybe like in our marriage, you know, maybe I didn't like love her as, as I should have, or I wasn't as kind. She'd be like, well, don't you know you're a Christian? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but like, I don't know calculus, you know, like just because I became a Christian, it's not like God downloaded like math and they downloaded history. Like there's still natural things that I have to obtain. Wives and husbands, can I speak to you for a moment in the room? This is why you have to have grace with one another. You can't treat your spouse how you think God is treating you. Where he forgives all the things before, right? But after, I don't think he forgives this. He doesn't want the best version of you. Adam wanted God to see the areas he felt proud of, but not the areas he was ashamed in. And what is a superficial person like? A superficial person is someone who is all about the surface and the appearances. And looking at it, that superficiality comes through the door of fear. Okay? I'm going to be finishing soon. Now, my father and grandfather, right? So me and my wife are in the process right now. We're actually going to be, uh, going to be getting a home soon. We're, we're, it's, man, it's been a, an amazing journey. Um, I remember when I moved to L.A., uh, I had $150 a month. And that was a baller back then, right? I think I couldn't even afford air in L.A. Um, and so in this process, um, I'm having to actually reach out to my family. And I've noticed something about me and my grandpa and my father, because we're all Barcelona men. The natural curse of the Barcelona men is to be the most superficial that I've ever seen. I mean, me and, if, if, if me and my grandpa and dad, if you were to compare our relationship to a pool, we literally swim in a kiddie pool. That's how deep our relationship goes. Kiddie pool. It's not deep. You can't dive in it. Maybe some of you could relate to that. Like, literally, it was my grandpa's birthday. It's, and, it's, and, and, and I know they want to go deep. They just don't know how. Right? My grandpa's birthday the other day, and I'm like, hey, grandpa, happy birthday. Hey. Uh, how are you? Right? Like, it, I could tell he kind of he wants to engage a little bit. I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. How old are you? Old enough to vote. You know, like, he does these little jokes to kind of, he wants to, like, he wants to, like, detour me from, I mean, one time I went out with my dad, and, and we went out to go eat, you know, and. And we were in the car, and it's like awkward. We're just driving. Hey, Dad. Hey. How are you? All right. He never says good. He says, all right. That's a Barcelona thing. I'm all right. Cool. So how's, how's everything been like with, with Araceli, your wife? And It's all right. I have a little brother. He's like seven years old. How's, how's Max been? He's all right. <laughs> Everything's all right, you know. We've, there's a superficiality within the Barcelona. You know what's even scarier is when that bleeds into marriage. Is when that bleeds into your relationships with people. How about this? When it bleeds into your relationship with God. There's this quote I wanted to read you. If I could get everyone's attention, unless you're taking notes... I, want to, I do want to ask you, just put your phones down for a moment. Those who text, listen up. This is for you. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. To be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from the pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness. You know it is humbling when someone can love the real you? How many of you have ever been a mess? I'll raise your hand for some of you. 
I'm like, you need your hand up. You need three foot up everything. Right? Isn't it humbling when you are a mess and people just come alongside you and hug you? Don't you want to punch them? Like, get away from me. Because everyone else in your life didn't do that. I remember I lived with this family once, um, um, Chris and Neva Cox. They were an amazing family, and they were, like a, they were a host home. So when I was younger, when I was 17 years old, my stepfather left my mom and, my, and me and my siblings. He left us three days before Christmas. My, he, he was the one who worked. My mom didn't have a job for like 12 or 13 years. So left us with no money, um, and they shut off our heat in the middle of winter. So we're taking like cold shower. It was miserable. He literally like loaded up his stuff. This is what like, this is where the decline of my sister's life started, if you know my sister's story. So he, he literally goes up to my sister and says, I have a surprise for you, loads his bags and leaves. I mean, just terrible, right? And so my mom comes up to me a few weeks later and says, hey, I just want to let you know, I'm 17, right? I just gotten saved at 16. She goes, hey, I want you to know that, that I love you, but I can't afford you anymore. Like, I'm going to have to move in with your aunt and we're going to move me, Zalia, and Ian into one bedroom and I don't know what to do with you. So you have to find somewhere to live. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, so I'm, I'm really like, I'm really scared. I mean, I'm 17, but I have God, right? And I don't really have much to lose. I had a 1990 Acura, so it wasn't like I had a big inheritance. Um, but I'm like, it's okay, it's okay. So I go to church that day, right? And or that night, it's like a Wednesday night. And I used to lead worship back in the day, uh, playing some Hillsong, Lead Me to the Cross, you know what I'm talking about? So <laughs> lead me to the cross. So I was... I'm leading that night, and one of my biggest pet peeves, if you know me, is when people don't engage. It's just a pet peeve I have. It's one of my pet peeves. When, I'm going to say this. When believers don't engage, when believers are on their phones, when believers are talking, whether it's the word or it's worship, here's why. When I got saved, I got radically changed. I was, I was an atheist. I was addicted to certain things. I was depressed. I remember dumping pills in my hands. Like, my life was jacked. I was in anger management. I'm, gonna, I'm not proud of this, but I used to, like, sit in corners of the room and just, like, rock and scream. Like, I was, like, tormented as a kid. I don't do that no more, okay? <laughs> Good. It's been many years, right? And I would be, like, in this corner, Gah! and my mom's like, you need anger management. No, I don't, you know? I was, I was, I was tormented as a child. I was fearful of everything. I mean, you know, when you grew up in the abuse that I grew up in, and you've seen your, 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 you know, your father, and you see all these things going on, it, it messes with you here. Because your family is supposed to be the most stable thing that, that holds you together. But when your family is embedded in abuse, it naturally creates an instability in you for the rest of your life. That if you're not healed for, you will. Re you know that you're not going to not become like your father by not trying to become your father? You're not going to become your father when you tr go after becoming like Jesus. It's not like, I'm not going to be like my dad just for the sake of not being like. No, you will become what you hate. And hopefully you hate what you've become and you change. But I'm going through all this, this craziness, right? All this wildness as a kid. And I, and I learned from this young age to, to build these walls. There is such a fear in me of being known. Let me finish this. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness. It fortifies us from any difficulty life can throw at us. This is Tim Keller. Do you realize that when you embrace what God's doing and in your weakness you put down the superficiality you actually allow yourself 
to stop believing lies that are thrown at you and you start believing truth. And check this out. From a young age, we're taught to put on a performance for what people want to see. How many remember high school? Anybody remember high school? Like freshman year, you're a gangbanger. Sophomore year, you're a skater. Junior year, I don't know what you are. Jock. Senior year, you don't care. Come on, how many, could be honest, how many of you had phases in high school? Right? Or maybe you were like, I was gangbanger freshman year and deeper gangbanger and then deeper gangbanger, right? But everyone, man, I, I had so many different versions of Brian in high school because I was trying to find my crowd. I mean, I thought, finally my senior year, I had just embraced my guitar. I'm like, this is who I am. I'm, a, I'm John Mayer's son, you know? Like, I'm going to play wide Georgia. <clears throat> I'm going to solo. I, I'm, and, I, I, and literally, that's how I got through my senior year. I mean, I was a Christian already, but I had this gift of music that even if you didn't like me, you liked my gift. This is what made me accepted by so many people. I was liked by the jocks. I was liked by the gangsters. I was liked by the cheerleaders. Everyone liked me because I was just that cool kid who played guitar. Right? But I had these different phases. But eventually, you cast off the superficiality that you once learned to adapt only to survive. And the curse, check this out, the curse is that we spend a lifetime with people knowing the outskirt versions of you. But the even greater curse is we spend a lifetime only knowing the outskirts of God. You know, I heard Mike Bickle say this, and I loved it. Because a lot of times we justify, right, if we feel, if we feel like we're a little bit, you know, deep, deeper in our, in our relationship with God, it's easy to justify when we look at someone who's a little bit more shallower than we are, even if our depth is only an inch deeper than our neighbor. So maybe I look at someone else and I'm like, well, I'm an inch deeper than him. Just because I'm an inch deeper than that guy doesn't mean I'm actually deep. It doesn't mean that I have depths and history with God. We can't pat ourselves on the back when we compare ourselves to other people. Take this out. The most powerful thing about the calling of the disciples was Jesus was calling people not for where they were, but for where they were going to be. And as I close, I want to, I want to read you this. I thought this is so incredible. If you ever read Matthew chapter five, verse 27, you see the calling of one of the disciples. And I love the calling of this disciple because this disciple was in probably one of the worst places. He, he was, he's at a tax collector's booth. And everyone historically knew in these times when you were a tax collector, you had a rep of ripping people off. That was what you did. You ripped people off. You stole their money. And here you find this guy who, according to his name that Jesus is about to call him by, you find this guy who's at a place in his life that he probably never seen himself at. Because according to this guy's name, right, they call him Matthew, but his other name was Levi. According to his name, he would have, been a, he would have had some roots of God in his history. For you to be named Levi, there was some sort of connection to the Levitical priesthood. Which means that somewhere in your line, there was God. I think about my dad. You know, my dad kind of grew up in church. He grew up around religion. Never really got into his faith, but he just kind of went to church. He, my, dad's, my dad's a musician. He's a really, really good musician. And, his, and most people in his church back in the day could care less about his marriage, less about his walk with God, just more about his gift. So he'd be up there every day playing, and then they're just going home having terrible marital issues. Eventually, that led to a divorce, and eventually it led to him completely denying the faith, right? But check this out. When I, when I read this story, I think about my dad, and here's why. You have this guy who's sitting at this tax collector's booth. 
He's there and Jesus shows up. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever like walked away from the church or for your faith for a really long time. And then you run into someone that went to your church. And you're like, ooh, I'm going to pull a Caleb right now. Right? Like, they're there. You're like, hey, how are you guys, right? Put your hat down. You start texting. There's a shame that comes. You know, I met a girl um, when I was just saved. Um, I won't give you her name, but uh, she was an amazing girl. Me and her brother were super good friends. And I'll never forget the day um, she sat down with me and her brother and a few of our friends. We were, we were like 16 or 17 years old. And she told us she was pregnant. I'll never forget that. She's bawling her eyes out. And I remember looking at her that day and I said, hey, you know what? Like, everyone makes mistakes. And my mom got, was 15 when she got pregnant with me. Look at me. Like, aren't you not okay? Maybe you're carrying a me in there. I don't know. Like, and this is what I told her. I said, whatever you do, I said, don't leave the church. Don't isolate. Don't let all these religious people. You're going to get looks. There's going to be people who are going to judge you. They're going to gossip about you. But they did the same to Mary. Do you imagine Mary for a moment? Let's go off script for a moment. you imagine Mary? Like people like, like the people of the Catholic faith don't realize the actual price Mary must have paid. You're a woman who's heavily involved in a religious community. You're about to solidify your marriage. She was engaged and she gets pregnant. And her story is, the Lord impregnated me. How many men would not believe that? You'd be like, you tripping. Who is he? What's his name? God. No, 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 no. What do they really call him? Could you imagine the gossip? Mary walking into rooms. You imagine the names they called her. The ridicule she had. You think you pay a price for your calling? I'm called to preach. I pay a price of criticism. Could you imagine a real price of criticism? Where you got to carry something that nobody understands? And they're not going to understand for 33 years later? When he dies and raises from the grave? And even then people won't understand? Could you imagine carrying something like she did? Anyways, Levi's sitting at this tax collector's booth in Matthew 5, 27. It says, after he went out, he noticed a tax collector named Levi. And I love this because most people called him Matthew, but Jesus decided to call him Levi. And Levi, that name means joined in harmony. Jesus wasn't looking at a man who was disjoined with God. He actually was looking at a man that was about to be rejoined in harmony with him again. And this is what it says. Sitting in the tax collector's booth, he said to him, Follow me. Without hesitation, it says he left everything behind, got up, and began to follow him. I like to imagine the story like this. Levi's sitting there. He sees Jesus coming. He can't escape. Can't run. Can't hide. As he gets closer, I can imagine tears welling up in his eyes. I can imagine his heart beginning to beat fast. And I can imagine him bracing himself for the judgmental words of this religious scholar. And instead of being judged, instead of being condemned, Jesus extends an invitation. 
Do you know back then it was uncommon for teachers and rabbis to ask you to follow them? You had to beg the rabbis to follow them. Jesus was the opposite. No one begged him. He came and said, hey, I got an invitation. I can imagine the moment he said, follow me, there was an instant release of, gra of gratification because he knew what he was leaving and what he was gaining. Check this out. We don't want to be superficial because that's not the characteristics of the father. The superficial part of Christianity is thinking that God doesn't know who he's calling. Is you thinking he doesn't know you. He doesn't want you. Now I want to talk briefly about the supernatural and we're going to finish this morning. Yes, supernatural, of course, includes healing, signs, and wonders. But if we stop there, we're generalizing and we're still not going deeper. It's supernatural for us as believers to actually walk in what Jesus paid for. You know, I've, been, I've, I'm, I've, I've come from a charismatic background. And if you don't know what that means, that means that I believe in, in that the whole Bible is true. I believe that if God did it, then he'll do it now. The Bible says he's the same today, yesterday, and forever. I don't believe that God stopped working at the apostles. I just don't. When you see all throughout scripture, God is alive and present. He's alive. The Bible says the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's alive. And that's why you could read the same verse at different seasons of your life and it speaks something different to you. I believe that God still heals people today. I believe that God can still restore marriages I believe that God can heal addiction. I believe that God could break depression. I believe that God can break suicide. I believe you can be in this room right now so distraught, the most superficial person in the room, and you can walk out changed. I, I believe you can actually leave this morning changed. I don't care if you've been a missionary with me for seven years. You can leave different. Or maybe you came in for the first time because someone told you there was going to be donuts. Or maybe you've seen a cool social media post, and that's why you came. You don't have to leave the same. You know, I've been a Christian for almost 13 years. This year will be 13 years. It's pretty crazy. 13 years. And I barely scratched the surface. And you know what I've learned in my 13 years? Is I've gone through many phases in my walk. There's been phases I felt close to God. There's been phases I felt far from God. There's been phases where I hear his voice. There's been phases where I don't hear his voice. There's been moments where I want to read my Bible. There's moments where I don't want to read my Bible. There's moments where I want to pray. There's moments where I want to fast. There's moments where I never want to fast. There's all these different seasons that I've gone through. And the supernatural part to me of the gospel is that God can transform a man to love the things he once hated and hate the things he once loved. That's supernatural. We downgrade that so much. You know, it is supernatural for those of you who struggle with drugs to no longer crave the drug. I applaud that. You know, it's supernatural for those of you who are addicted to sex. So all of a sudden God delivers you and you want to abstain and wait. You know, it's supernatural for those of you who come from alcoholic families. So all of a sudden you say, not my generation. It stops with me. It stops with me. Because guess what, man? Generational curses and blessings are absolutely real. You ever wonder why you drink? Maybe you got to look at your family's genealogy. Well, guess what? It has to stop with someone. And maybe it's you. Maybe your kids will never know a bottle in their house. Maybe your kids will never know what a hangover is. Maybe your kids will experience something that you've never experienced. To me, it's the most selfish thing when I meet people that have had bad childhoods and they say, I'm never getting married. Never having kids. That's the most selfish thing you can do because why wouldn't you give a kid 
something that you never had. Instead of saying, oh, I'm never getting married. It ain't for me. Why not say, man, I can't wait to get married and breed a whole new generation of Barcelonas. Well, you ain't going to breed them. I am. But whatever your last name is. Just because you've been hurt, that doesn't validate that you can stay where you're at. Remember, you don't control the wound, but you do control the healing. Every wound, if you let God heal, it becomes a scar. And scars are the greatest altars of what God has done in our lives. Man, when you look at scars, you're like, oh, I remember that. Yeah, it's terrible in my life. Look where I'm at today. So crazy. You know, I was looking at, again, again I'm not going to claim to be an NBA fan. I'm really, I don't know much about basketball. I, want to, I mean, I've played a few times, and I think I, I just have grace. Like, a couple times I'll make a couple swooshes, and then I just start brinking them all. Boom, boom. Like, I just pass it to the tall people. When Kobe passed, you know, I looked at how old he was. He was 41 years old, you know. And, I, and all I was seeing was all of these, like, people blasting, celebrating his life. And then there was, like, one, I'm not going to tell you the news network, there's one news network that brings up something, like, from, like, 10 of 12 years ago, something bad that he went through. I'm like, wow. You know what that shows me? That shows me that it's not how a man or woman starts. It's how they finish. It's how you finish. You might have walked in here the most superficial person. But at what point are you going to want to end it? I mean, you can go through your whole life. You know, you can go through your whole life. My grandpa's, I don't know how old he is. He's old enough to vote. I know that. <laughs> but he's old. And you know what? I told my grandma, I said, hey, grandma, I don't even know my grandpa. Like, who is he? I'm, we're going up there in March, and I'm going to go take him out to lunch. I don't know how that's going to be. I'll probably have a sermon the next week just from that meeting. <laughs> but man, like, my grandpa's at least almost 80, and my grandma don't even know him. How could you live with the same woman for, for they're almost 50 years married, and you don't know each other? But if that can be the case, imagine God. You could spend a lifetime and you didn't even get to know him. He, you know what I mean? Are you allowed the offenses of the church to hurt you? You allow the offenses of leaders to hurt you. When he died, he paid for it all. Total restoration. Check this out. Superficiality ends where the supernatural begins. And what I want to do this morning is I want to do a declaration. I want to do a little bit different today. I want to declare, if you don't know what a declaration is, here's what it is. A biblical declaration is speaking God's words. It's words of affirmation spoken out into existence, out loud into existence. Bible declarations strengthen a belief that has its root in the truth of God's word. It builds your faith, relationship, confidence in God so that God's counsel over your life can come to pass. Declarations, listen, declarations are more powerful than you think. Because you are the most influential voice to your own life. Do you realize that Stephen Furtick is not the most influential voice to you? T.D. Jakes is not the most influential. Bethel <clears throat> is not the most influential voice. I'm not the most influential voice. You know the most influential voice is? It's you. Because when you leave here, who talks to yourself? We've all done it. You're in the mirror. What up, sexy? All right? 
I know some of you do that. Right? Or maybe you're in the mirror and you're like, you're so stupid. Yeah, I've done that before. You're the most influential voice to yourself. This is why declarations are powerful. I encourage you, next time you are going through something, start declaring what's true, not what you feel. Because what you feel is temporary. Truth is eternal. Truth don't change. How many of you have ever said something in a heated moment that you regretted? Right? Because you let your emotions lead you instead of you leading your emotions. Happens a lot. You know, that's the most detrimental thing in marriages is when you completely allow yourself to speak things. There's Bible says that you either bless or you curse with your words. There's power in your words. There's power in your words. Power in your words. So we're going to declare some things with some authority right now. If you've never done this, I'm going to coach you through it, and then we're going to end. What this simply is is this. We're going to, we're going to out loud voice truths right now. Right? How many of you have ever out loud you voiced lies? Come on, be honest. You're in a fight. I hate you. Right? I always think of this. This is going to be so terrible, but don't, don't judge me. I always think of this Adam Sandler movie, Happy Gilmore. <laughs> When he's like, you suck, you suck, you suck. You know, he's like, <laughs> there's like these deck, like he was declaring he sucked and he missed it, right? Like he missed the, the, like we do that in our lives. We look at ourselves. You're terrible. You can't do it. You're man. You're, no. What if this morning we said, man, I want to break superficiality first with my words because some, you know what's powerful about worship when we sing? Is there's sometimes you have to sing your way into truth. There's sometimes you're sitting in, this, in the couch, and trust me, I know it's really comfortable in here. I don't know if you've ever been to a church-type or church type service or a gathering like this where you actually sit in the couch. Right? I mean, I've been in, in some pews before. I'm just like, dude, like, I ain't never going back to that place. Most of you are sinking into your chair. Some of you need a pew, man. You're too comfortable. There's power in declarations. There's power when you look at yourself and you, this is what, you know, David's story is powerful because he encouraged himself in the Lord. Well, I don't have anyone that encourages me. You have yourself. That's the biggest thing in today's culture. Like we have this feel sorry for me generation. Well, I don't have any leaders that support me. There's just no one that loves me, man. Like, I'm just all alone. You're not alone. You have yourself. <laughs> you have God. Really? I got God. G-A-W-D. Just kidding. God. It's the ghetto version. We're going to declare in this room. That's not how you spell God. We're going to declare in this room some biblical truths this morning. If you want to, this is, I'm not going to force this on you. If you want to stay in your couch, you can totally do that. But here's what we're going to do. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to voice out, right? How many sports fanatics in here? Like real sports fanatics? Any World Cup people? You, you are diehard World Cup. Super Bowl? I don't know. Has the Super Bowl happened? I don't even know if it's happening. Has it happened? Next week? How many of you are excited for the Super Bowl? Right?
sports fanatics. I love, I love true sports fanatics. My wife, believe it or not, she gets pretty crazy during like Super Bowls. Like there was one year, I think it was the Niners, they were playing. I think they lost that year or something. It's not surprising. Um, but, but I will never forget my wife. I seen a whole different side of my wife. I was like eating Doritos and they scored. She was like, now what? I'm like, dude, like, I'm like, I don't even want to talk to you right now. Like, I was so offended. Like, we talk to me like that. Are you crazy, lady? Like, I never seen that side of her. I didn't even say nothing. Like, they scored. She's like, now what? I'm like, I didn't say nothing. Like, I was just eating Doritos and quesadillas. Like, I wasn't doing anything. Like, there was, there was something that arose in her, man. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to declare some things. Can we do that? Can we have everyone just stay in the room right now? We want you to stand. Don't bounce on me on the declarations, okay? Stay in here. We're going we're, we're gonna to declare some things. If your neighbor looks like they got to go, just hold on to them. Stand, stand. If you want to stand, you want to declare this. Here's what we're going to do. Really simple. Join the hand of the person next to you. We're going to do this in unity. We're going to do old school, like, old school, like, church style, right? Just kind of hold, you know, back in the day, kumbaya, just kind of hold each other's hands. We're going to declare some powerful truths in the room. So here's what we're going to do. When you, check this out, when you choose to live a life of something that is contrary to the word of God, you enter an agreement with that thing. So let's say you're a Christian and you're depressed because that's real. Christians go through depression, but here's why I believe that happens. You have something that comes over you. There's something that happens to you. And in that moment, right, some of this could be, I don't know how the whole science part of it works. I'm just giving kind of the more spiritual side of it, right? But you enter agreement with what you feel, right? There's been moments I've been like upset with my wife or we've gone through something and I know that I'm going to, like I'm mad and I know, how many of you have ever been mad and you know you're in the middle where you can go either way? Yes. You're like, I can forgive you, but no, <laughs> I'm going to go here. We've all been there. You ever been mad at someone, right? Like, you know you are literally at the middle point of forgiving, but you're like, I'm going to choose to be mad at you because that's what you deserve. That's dangerous. You've entered an agreement. You've entered a contract, right? With anger. You've entered a contract with bitterness. We enter, we enter contracts with superficiality. We've been okay with not being known. We've been okay with not knowing people. And we've been okay with not knowing God. Don't think that an hour a week here could suffice a true relationship God wants with you. This doesn't make up for your relationship with God. Don't be fooled. I welcome you, man. You please come every week. It's amazing. But this does not suffice what's a daily relationship at all. And you know what's even crazier is there are better words that you can read out of the 66 book called the Bible that can far outdo any words I can communicate here. Get your Bible. Read it for yourself. We led this guy to the Lord in, uh, in uh, Virginia, me and my wife, the Salvadorian kid in a restaurant like on New, right before New Year's. And he's been writing me back and forth on Instagram. And he's like, hey, man, I just feel different. And I'm like, man, that's amazing. Like, hey, man, we gave you that Bible. Have you started reading? He's like, no, I just look at it. And I started laughing on the phone. I'm like, dude, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard. Like, I just imagine him like, 
Like he just looks at it. Like he doesn't even open it. That, we do the same thing. You can be in the room right now in the next few minutes just look at, at the breaking of superficiality or you can break it. You can open it. You can say, I'm going to go through it. And you may think this is foolish. What is yelling in the air going to do? That's foolish. And the Bible says that God takes the foolish things and he confounds the wise. Maybe you tried all your wisdom things and it ain't working. You've read all the books and it ain't working. Why don't you try doing a few foolish things? Why don't you try worshiping an invisible God that you can't see? That's foolish. You know, the Bible says to those who are perishing, the cross is foolishness. This is why you can't expect people that don't know Jesus to understand. When they come to know him, when the heart comes to know him, the mind will come to know him. This is why Jesus doesn't go after your mind. He goes after your heart. Right? People miss heaven by 12 inches. The distance from here to here. Just because you have a religion here doesn't mean you have God here. Big difference. So we're going to declare these things, right? Whether you even know what you're doing. You may not even know what you're doing right now. You're like, this is so funny. I've never, maybe some of you are like, I've never done this in a service. They just let me go. You can totally choose and not declare, but I want to encourage you to declare. Here's the only qualification is you got to do it with all you got. Everything you got. Nothing hold back. Right? We declare all the time. Parents, you know, sometimes you declare things to your kids. Go to your room, right? It's a declaration. Eat your food. Don't pull the dog's tail. Zoe, knock it out, right? Inventing. If you have parents, you declare things to your kids, unless you're a passive parent and you don't say nothing to your kids, and then that's on you. But everyone declares. Everyone. All the time. Someone cuts you off. What are you doing? They can't even hear you. Your window's up. We're going to declare today to a God that hears you. You know what's crazy? One last thing. Can I explain this with declarations? What is the first thing that God did? Did he create or did he speak? He speaks and creation follows. And if you're made in his image, then that would mean that you carry the same attribute as the one who created you. That you have the ability to speak into existence that which is not your reality yet. People think it's like this like whole secret, like, you know, like it's you're, you're self-empowering and you're, you're speaking things. No, no, no. They, people rip off from the Bible, man. Bible originated that. It's called you reap what you sow. Oh, if you're just karma, you're good and you're bad. No, no, no. It's called reaping and sowing, dude. Everyone always rips off the Bible. God invented that. It's a principle. It's a biblical principle. You sow seed, you reap. Right? You speak something into existence. My daughter... She's going through this phase now where every, she comes up and she's like, I, I just don't know. Am I, I don't know if I'm beautiful. Yes, you are. You're beautiful. And it's cool because when I was a kid, when I did something wrong, my parents would say, you're a liar. You're this. And that became my identity. When my daughter tells a liar or my daughter does something wrong, we don't say you're a liar. We say, hey, honey, you're a truth teller. You're a good girl. That's who you actually are. What you're doing right now is a lie, but that's not who you are. You're a truth teller. She goes, I am? Yes, by faith you are. <laughs> Let's declare this this morning. Can we lift our hands together? No matter how foolish this may feel or seem, we're just going to pray this simple declarations. Come on, say Jesus. Jesus. Come on, say Jesus. Jesus. I, break I break agreement with superficiality. I break, I break agreement with keeping people distant. Keeping people distant. 
with keeping God distant. See, I break agreement with everything fake in my life. I choose to believe what God says about me. I choose to not hide areas of my life that I feel shameful about. I choose to accept the grace that saved me the day I accepted Jesus for the rest of my salvation. I'm not saved by grace and then have to work my way. I'm saved by grace and I'm kept by grace. Here's what I want to do. Is there anyone in the room? I, I've ne- I never, really never done this on a Monday. Is there anyone in the room? Stay standing. You've never received Jesus before. You're like, man, this is, this is totally new to me. Like, what is going on? And you want to receive Jesus. And what that simply means, I want to just break this down in simple terms for you, right? I always use this analogy. Every woman's dream one day is a man on his knee, right? A healthy woman. I was at a church in Boston. I was like, how many of y'all women are waiting for the man on his knee? No one raised their hand. I'm like, y'all need healing, <laughs> But every, every healthy woman's dream is one day there's going to be a man like this. But the greatest proposal in human history is not a man on his knee with the ring. It's a man on a cross. It's greatest proposal. So before we leave the room, is there anyone in here like that you just want to say, man, I want to give Jesus a, a shot. I want to invite him into my life. Like I want to give him a chance to lead me. Guy, if, before you raise your hand, if you're going to raise your hand, like, I did that 12 years ago, almost 13 years ago, and I have zero regrets. He broke every chain in my life. He's restored my home. He's restoring parts of my family. In the last decade, man, I've been able to be blessed with a wife and children and see the hand of God on my life. And there's no pressure. Is anyone here that you'd want to make Jesus, throw your head, you want to make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior? You don't have to. I mean, this is not a, I'm not pressuring you, but you want to right now. Is there anybody? 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 So actually there was someone whose hand we didn't get to see in the back who wants to receive Jesus this morning. Can I just get some, we just get some ladies around here right now. We're going to pray together. Bible says, Bible says that heaven rejoices when a sinner repents.